0: Well, friends, it is, uh, it's great to be with you again this weekend. If this is your first time here, let me introduce myself. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the privilege of looking at God's Word with you. But before we dive into that, uh, we also have the opportunity to do something very special today, to welcome a couple into membership. So I'm going to invite the Mitchells to come on up. If you'll give me the hand, as, or give them a hand as they come up, as we welcome them. Uh, as they come, just a, a, a quick bit about membership here at Fellowship Nashville, here Fellowship Nashville, we don't believe that membership uh, makes you more spiritual or a better Christian. It's a way of saying, uh, we are committing to what God is doing in this local expression of his bride. And we are so excited uh, with the different people that have committed and have joined in in the work at Fellowship Nashville. It's what makes this place uh, so special and amazing. And so we're excited in the same way to welcome the Mitchell. So guys, I'll have you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about why you wanted to join here at Fellowship Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, How's everybody doing this morning? What's up? Hey, hey. Uh, we're the Mitchells, as he said. I'm Kevin, and this is my wonderful wife, Emily. Uh, we moved to Nashville in March of 2021 and shortly after started to attend fellowship. And to get to your question, uh, the reason why we decided to make fellowship our own is because of the deep commitment to the gospel as well as the Bible-centered teachings and the community. Um, I can tell you on behalf of my wife and I, uh, we're, we're very excited to continue to serve in the church of the body. Um, we're also looking forward to get to know each and every one of you as we journey together in faith. Um, yeah, so thanks for having us. Yep, we're excited. Let's give my hand. Well, guys, we want to we wanna take a minute and pray for you. So let me do that real quick. <laughs> All right, if you guys Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you uh, for Kevin and Emily. Thank you for your beauty and glory in their story, how you have drawn them to yourself, how you reflect your grace and mercy in and through them. Lord, as they now take this step of membership, may, may they continue uh, to see your love and grace as they walk here at Fellowship Nashville. May they continue to see your hand as you lead them at every step along the way. So, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, and we just ask your richest blessings on the Mitchells today in your name. Amen? Amen. Thank Congrats, guys. Okay, hey, real quick. I have a little book we like to give just as a welcome uh, gift. Uh, so, there you go. Let's give him a hand. A uh, quick word about membership. Maybe you're here and you're, you've been considering membership and you're wondering uh, what the next step is. Next Sunday, following the service, we'll be holding our next Explore class. And Explore is kind of the, the next step in that process. So if you haven't done Explore, and that's something you want to look into, encourage you to uh, sign up. There's a chance to register for that online. And uh, lunch is provided, the whole family's welcome. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I look forward to seeing you there. All right, so. Speaking of food, um, you know, one of the things that I love about living here in Nashville is just the incredible deep bench of the food scene here in the city. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, it it seems like there's no end to the culinary delights that are available in this city. I mean, uh, you turn around every corner and there's like, Handmade tacos with fresh tortillas or fresh pad thai or you know um, All kinds of you name it food And it always cracks me up when I go out with my kids to one of these restaurants I mean here we are in, in some of the best Handmade food and they pass out the kids menu and every time without fail it comes down to one of three staples chicken nuggets a cheeseburger or the one that drives me the most crazy mac and cheese Now, now let me tell you why mac and cheese drives me nuts. It's because here we are at this restaurant that is serving this amazingly fine food, and I get so irritated when I see the waiter bring out Kraft mac and cheese that I know that costs like 20 cents to make, and it's 10 bucks on the menu. I'm like, seriously, guys, can't you try something better? But as a parent, one of the things that I have to simply acknowledge is... This is where they are on the journey. And there are these beautiful moments as a dad where you know, I'll watch one of my kids lean over and like, hey, can I try a little bit of what you're eating? And they're like, oh, that's amazing. I'm like, no doubt. Why do you think I told you to get it instead of mac and cheese? But that's just where they are. You know, this week, as I was uh, looking at the passage that we're going to be looking at, I was reminded that, you know, one of the things that we face in the journey of walking with Jesus is the call to be discerning of where people are on the journey. And sometimes uh, we do that in ways that are unintentional, and sometimes we do that in ways that are intentional. Let me have you look at the verse we'll be looking at today. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. And it's there that we're told, do not give to the dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample you them underfoot in turn to attack you. You know, as I read this passage this week, I was quickly reminded of a time in about junior high when I remember having a conversation with my dad. I think I had completed a project and there were a couple kids in the class that were particularly critical and kind of being harsh. And I remember my dad pulling me off to the side and saying, well, you know, Ryan, don't throw your pearls before swine. And it it was obviously a reference to this passage, and and yet as I sat with it this week, I realized uh, this is one of those passages that in many ways we've heard a number of times, but at the end of the day, what is it really inviting us into? You know, as a pastor, there are those moments when you walk into a passage thinking that you know what it means, and yet the more you dive into it, the more you realize that there is something here that's even more beautiful and profound than I, I thought I knew when I walked into it. And this week, I found a truth that was staring at me like a spaceman right in front of me. This, This beautiful truth and invitation to come to the heart of Jesus and what it's all about. You know, it's why this passage is so important. And as we continue on in this message, in the Sermon on the Mount, this beautiful message of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7, we find a profound invitation to imitate, to apprentice the way of Jesus in every area, every dimension of our life, particularly how we respond in the relationships around us. Last week, uh, Gus uh, led us into the uh, first five verses of this smaller section within that sermon. This this invitation that we're not supposed to judge, that with sober discernment, uh, we're supposed to discern uh, both the log of hypocrisy that can be in our own eye, while at the same time being careful not to strain out the small things that we see in the life of another. And as Gus mentioned last week, oftentimes this can become the most quoted verse in the Bible. I mean, have you, have you ever run into that? You walk with someone and are like, well, wait a second, wait a second. Judge not, lest you be judged. And as Gus reminded us last week, we are called as followers of Jesus to steer clear of censoriously dismissing a person as one beyond the reach of the gospel. So isn't it wasn't curious then that we find these words of Jesus that follow. Don't give to the dogs what is holy, and do not throw out your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. And as I, as I sat with these verses this week, uh, this larger section, I realized that Jesus was directing us towards a key idea that I want to draw our attention to today and unpack. The, this beautiful call that on one hand, we're not supposed to judge, but at the same time, we are to be discerning but what does that look like? What, what, how, do we, how do we go about practicing that? And I think it begins in recognizing the warning that's right in front of us. Don't be undiscerning. Again, I, I, I hear the words of Jesus, do not give to dogs what is holy, do not throw your pearls before pigs. And it's like, well, wait a second, wait a second, Jesus. This feels like a little bit of a circular argument. You just told us that we're not supposed to judge. And at the same time now, you're telling us that we're supposed to be discerning. So where's the middle ground? Add to the fact that you find similar uh, arguments throughout the scripture. For example, in Proverbs 26, verses four to five, we're told, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So wait a second, wait a second, Solomon. What is it supposed to be here? On one hand, you tell me, don't answer a fool. And on the other hand, you tell me to answer the fool. What exactly are you inviting us into? And as I sat in the tension between these two ideas, the more I realized just how provocative and profound what Jesus is saying here truly can be. You know, Jesus gives us two powerful images. He says on the first hand, don't give to the dogs that. Uh, which is holy. And don't throw your pearls before the pigs. You know, it's interesting because in the ancient world, uh, the dogs were kind of the scavengers of the ancient world. They, they were the ones that would see the garbage that was thrown in the streets and they would go and they would pick it dead animals and dead bodies. I mean, we have a cute pug at home named Winston. Um, this is not Winston. I mean, it probably wouldn't be that far to say, don't throw what is holy before the rats in our culture you know these dogs were disgusting vile creatures that senselessly would turn and attack in order to grab the smallest morsel of food in the same way we're told that we're not supposed to throw our pearls before swine Uh, you may know for example that in the ancient world um, pigs uh, were not seen as uh, the cleanest animal in fact to the opposite They were seen as profoundly unclean. To even eat of their meat was an automatic source of defilement that would keep one from worshiping God in the temple. And as we come to those images, these powerful images that Jesus uses, here's the interesting challenge of this text. There isn't an immediately clear application of what exactly Jesus is referring to in the metaphors. Add to that the fact that there are no parallel passages or paraphrases anywhere else in the gospel. Of this verse. So, what exactly is Jesus inviting us into? You know, as I sat with that question, I I realized that both as I think about my dad and the way that I have traditionally heard this passage interpreted, this is the question that we're really asking Who are the pigs and who are the dogs? You know, the temptation when we come to this passage is to say that what Jesus is inviting us into is to decide when a person um, is beyond the reach of the gospel, when a person is a dog who um, is simply unable to see the beauty of what the gospel stands for. Here's the problem for me, though, in that view. Didn't Jesus just tell us that we're supposed to not judge? Didn't Jesus just tell us that we're not supposed to dismiss one beyond the reach of the gospel? So what exactly is he inviting us into? And I think this is the challenge that Jesus is giving us in this text. Be discerning, but avoid judgment. Jesus' challenge here is that we are called to a sober-minded discernment of where people are in the journey, and yet at the same time to be cautious about dismissing them is beyond the reach of the gospel. And it's here then that I think we're invited into a powerful antidote. And the antidote to this warning is simply this, discern what it is that you've been received. Again, come back to these verses. Do not give to the dogs that which is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. And as I sat in this text this week, here, here was something that just opened my eyes and radically had me reading this passage in a fresh way. Here's what I want to point you towards. Notice that the call of action in this passage is not for the dog or the pig, but it is directed towards the carelessness of the one who fails to discern. The person who is rebuked in this passage is not the dog or the pig, But it is the person who has failed to discern what it is that had been entrusted to them and how to use it well in fact you might notice again in each of these images uh, we find two distinct commands for example we're not supposed to give to the dogs uh, that which is holy you know there's there's a fair bit of debate among scholars over what exactly is in view here when we talk about that which is holy You know, as I look at the various options, the one that seems to make the most sense to me is that in the ancient world, what would happen is sacrifices would be offered to God as an expression of the worship of the people of Israel. And sometimes what would happen is meat would be left over that would be made available to people. And to take that which had been offered on the altar and to give it to dogs... Would be to fail to discern the incredible preciousness of that which had been offered in worship to God on one hand, and then the next is carelessly thrown to those who would devour it. You know, I think about the words that we find in Exodus chapter 22, verses, verse 31, where it told, You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field, you shall throw it to the dogs. To throw it to the dogs would be to discard it. Is that which is unclean. Add to that the image of throwing the pearl before the pig. It's here that we're told that the pig, because of it parts the hoof and because of its cloven-footed nature, because it doesn't choose the cud, it is to be unclean to you. The pearls that, we, that would be thrown uh, before these pigs would likely be the jeweler's pearls, small pearls that would be offered to them. You know, it's interesting because this image of pearls appears several different times throughout Matthew's gospel. For example, in Matthew chapter 13, the pearl is compared to the kingdom itself. And Jesus says, this pearl is one of such great price that a man goes and he trades everything that he has in order to have this one pearl that means so much. In the same way, to take take a pearl and throw it before a swine would lead the swine to consume it much like a barley pod simply because it doesn't know the difference between what is of value and what is not. Now, you might be saying, Ryan, where in the world are you going with this? How do we apply this text? And here's what I want to suggest to you. The question of discernment is not to discern who is a dog and who is a pig. The question of discernment is, am I discerning and being intentional with another person as I share the truth of the gospel? The call to responsibility is not on the dog or the pig to somehow be less worthy. I mean, let's face it. If the call to hear the gospel was a call to worthiness, guess what? We all failed the test. But thanks be to God that God, being so rich and great in mercy and compassion, meets us not in the moment when we have it all figured out, but he meets us precisely in the midst of our brokenness. But if I were to ask you the question, when did you come to faith? How how did you come to faith? Likely, each of us would tell the stories of people who heard our story. People who sat with us. People who pursued relationship with us. And because of that, we're able to discern what was to be spoken in the right moment and what we couldn't hear in a given moment. It is not an utter dismissal of the other person, but rather just a humble acknowledgement of where they are in the process. Here's what I want to suggest to you, that the call of this passage is not for the judgment of who is a dog and who is a pig, but rather for discerning both what has been entrusted to us and where people are on the journey. It calls for a sober-minded intentionality to not continue to beat a dead horse, to not continue to force or win an argument because here's the thing. We can be right without failing to be righteous, or we can be right and yet at the same time not be righteous. We can win the argument and lose everything about the relationship and what God would want to do in the life of another person. So, What's at stake? And again, I, I find the words of Jesus here to be so sobering because he gives us this warning, lest they trample them underfoot in turn to attack you. Jesus is saying, I think, don't, don't try and win the argument. It's, if a person isn't ready to hear, your obligation is not to continue to say the same thing over and over and over again but rather it is an invitation to change our tact and to let the example of our lives bear witness to the truth of the kingdom until finally they are willing by the grace of God to hear it in a new way. So what does that look like? How do we practically begin to do that? And as I, as I sat with this mystery this week, again and again, I found myself circulating around some thoughts some images that I wanna offer to you uh, that are pictures Of, of, for me, some tools that I use in my own heart to sort out the difference between judgment and discerning. You know, ultimately, I think the goal of what this passage is pointing us towards is what I would call kingdom-motivated discernment. On one extreme is the temptation to judge, which ultimately dismisses a person as one beyond the reach of the gospel. It looks at the life of a person and says they are so messed up, so broken, there is no way that they would ever come to know the grace and the mercy of God. On the other hand, is is a carelessness that uh, fails to take into account where a person is. We we failed to discern uh, both the incredible gift that had been entrusted to us in the gospel and we failed to discern simply the moment of where that person is in the journey. So, how do we do that? How do we, how do we find that beautiful middle ground of kingdom motivated discernment? And as I wrestled with that this week, I was reminded of a verse uh, found in the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians lands in a larger section of scripture known as the Pastoral Epistles. Uh, literally, it means uh, letters on how to pastor. You know, these are, these are letters written by Paul to young churches about how they do life together. And uh, there's much here that could be said. In fact, this week I found a temptation to preach a whole sermon just on this one. Don't worry, not gonna happen today. But uh, there there is so much here in this verse uh, that's worthy of our consideration. But I just, I wanna point you towards two things. Here's Here's what Paul writes. And we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. Two things that I want to draw your attention to as we read this. Paul's call to the church at Thessalonica called them number one, to know where people were in the journey. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. You ever have that? Like if, if, if in our walking with people, in our discipling, in our doing life with other people, uh, we always adopt the same tact. The reality is uh, we may not be very effective because there are times that you walk with people and they're idle. And what they need is a loving and gracious kick in the pants of keep going. There's more to this life. And in love and grace, I want to challenge you to know and love Christ more. Still others uh, might be faint-hearted. And there the tack is encouragement. In fact, can you imagine if a person is faint-hearted and we come alongside of them and we say, you know what, you're just just screwing up left and right. It's only going to destroy them. Or to the person who's weak, if we come alongside them and and we try to encourage them when really what they need is for us to actually help them, uh, we just uh, won't have the impact we were designed to have. But the second thing that I want to draw your attention to is this last phrase Be patient with them all. No matter where a person is on the journey, no matter where a person is in their walk, whether it is that they need that loving nudge or they're discouraged, our call is always the same. Be patient with them. Always hold out hope in the loving hope of reconciliation and restoration. And as I wrestled this week with what exactly does that look like? How do I I tell that difference within my own heart? I just took my journal out and began to write. um, How do I distinguish between judgment and discernment? And I want to offer the four things that I came up with as I journaled. The first is simply this. The judgment condemns people. Discernment evaluates beliefs and behaviors. You know, I, I, I think about the times that I have seen this passage used, that you're not supposed to offer your pearls before swine. Often the way that I've seen it used is a way to dismiss or to condemn, to look at the life of another person and say, you know, this person is just beyond the reach of the gospel, so don't waste your time. And it is a censorious dismissal of the person rather than looking in love at beliefs and behaviors that may be contrary to the gospel. Discernment looks at what a person does or believes. Judgment looks at a person and says, you're beyond the reach of the gospel. And for me, one of the greatest tests if I am slipping into this track of judgment is if it leads me to a dismissal of people, if it leads me to a dismissal of a group rather than looking at specific beliefs and behaviors in the hope that these people would come to see and know and embrace the reality of the gospel. Here's the second thing. The judgment is impersonal and discernment is profoundly relational. Here's the thing about judging. It is very easy for me to judge from a distance. I can judge from a distance and say, you know what? Man, I look at that person, I look at that group. There is no way that they could ever come to faith. How could they possibly do that? What's their problem? Man, I'm so thankful that they're not like good religious people like me who never struggle with that. Right? I mean, we we can judge by looking at a person. Here's the thing, we can judge without ever knowing a person's name. Discernment, on the other hand, discernment requires me to know their story. Discernment requires me to walk with a person. Discernment requires me to know uh, where they are, what they're wrestling with. And oftentimes, the reason why we like judgment better than discernment because judgment is a whole heck of a lot less messy. Judgment is, is easy. Judgment allows us to stand and, and wash our hands of the responsibility of seeing the beauty of the glory of God in another. Discernment so values and cherishes the beauty of that Imago Day that it's willing to come alongside another person and say, hey, as we walk together, Can I lovingly invite you? There may be some areas of your life. Or I just want to point you back to what the kingdom invites you into. I want to point you back to what the kingdom is really all about. Let me suggest a third thing. Uh, The judgment is emotional. Discernment is is scriptural. As as soon as I sent off the slides this week, I've been hanging up on this point a little bit. I want want to tweak my wording a little bit here. I, I, I would say the judgment is subjective. And discernment is scriptural. What I, what I don't ever want to make, uh, make us believe is this idea that somehow emotions are bad because they're not. But, but here's, here's what I've seen sometimes. You walk with people and they're like, you know, I knew that person was no good. I knew it from the first person, the first time I met them. Why? I don't know. It just, something just felt wrong. You know what they said? Just, it just didn't feel Right? And there's no objective basis or or perhaps uh, we've been offended or hurt by another person. And so it's like, well, God, if you choose not to reach that person, I'm good with that. Where discernment is based on what God has revealed to us in his word. It's not our responsibility to come up with a standard that is different than what God has revealed, but rather in love, in grace, in mercy, we walk alongside those whom we have earned the right to speak into their lives, and we call them back to a fidelity to the life and invitation that God gives us in his word. You know, let me, let me say here that I think sometimes we can fall in this other extreme, or we can say we bear no responsibility to speak into the lives of others. You know, we just, it's that cultural bias of you do you, you know? But the reality is, as followers of Jesus, if we truly love people, sometimes the loving thing to do is to speak a word of encouragement to realign with what the gospel is really all about. How do you do that? That's a hard line. It requires prayer, it requires intention, it requires purpose, and I will add, it requires a relationship. I've truly got to know the other person. In fact, I'll even tell you that the moments that I have gotten in the most trouble with judgment is when I failed to do the greater work of knowing the person before I just blasted them to the side with what I thought they should do. And it's ultimately then that I want to point you to this fourth dynamic that, for me, differentiates judgment from discernment. The judgment is rooted in fear. Discernment is rooted in love. Uh, for me, if I, if I really want to know the quality and the nature of what's going on for me as I'm walking with this person, I listen to the attitude of my own heart. If it's coming from fear, and what I mean by fear is, man, if I let this other person get away with this, what does that say about me? Or, you know, it it, it really is my job to go and correct them and to tell them how to live their life in a right way. If, If there is fear, if there is pride, that is often for me a sign that I have strayed towards judgment. But let me say that on the opposite side, discernment is rooted in love. One of the signs that I know that I'm ready to have that conversation with another person is when I know that the reason why I want to have the conversation is because I want to see them walk in the fullness of what God has for them. It's motivated from a desire to invite them into a deep place of walking in the freedom and the grace and the mercy of God's love and compassion for them. And because I love them, because I care about them, because they're a friend, I know that I have an obligation to speak that truth in love, in grace, and in mercy. See, that's the thing about this passage. You know, I walked in this week kind of expecting, you know, this passage is gonna be a call to discern in my life, you know, who are the pigs and who are the dogs and when am I free of responsibility? And I realized that's not what it's saying. What it is saying is am I being discerning in the relationships of my life? Am I being discerning to hold both the truth of God's word and the beautiful gift of what God has given me in the relationships in my journey? Or do I, on the other hand, stand either by ignoring people altogether and simply trying to be right without being righteous or simply washing my hands of responsibility altogether as if I bear no responsibility to speak the truth of God's word in the lives of others? And this week, I found myself asking and praying and seeking that God, by his rich grace, would lead me into a place where mercy-driven discernment would invite me not to the dismissal of people, but to a faithful discerning of his goodness, mercy, and love in my life. You know, ultimately, I think the question that this passage leaves us with is this. Where's Jesus inviting me to practice discernment as I walk with others? You know, as I was uh, thinking about how to lay in the plane, two images really came to mind. The first is I think for some of us, what we can do is we can slip into that judgmental trap and we build a, a wall between us and others and we sense God telling us, take the brick down, <laughs> set it to the side, And pursue that relationship with that person. The other image that comes to mind is is, is the person uh, who who just wants to remain uninvolved. The person who just says, hey, they're doing them, I'm doing me. Uh, I'm not responsible. Jesus is calling us to bear witness to the reality and the grace and the truth of his kingdom. And as we close today, I want to to give you time to process this with Jesus. Maybe even as I speak these words, a relationship is coming to mind. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker, a kid at school. And maybe you're here today and you would recognize I've built that wall and Jesus is inviting me to set that to the side. I just, I want to invite you to simply put your hands out in this time of response with your palms down. A symbol of surrender of Jesus by your grace, by your mercy, you take this thing and draw me in relationship with this other. Or maybe you're here today and you would say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm more on that side. I, I'm not responsible. I don't want to get involved. It's none of my business. And today God is calling you, yeah, it is your business. And for you, I just want to challenge you to hold your palms up as a symbol of God, give me your heart for this person. Give me your heart that I might bear witness to this beautiful mystery called your kingdom. You know, I go back to the scene of uh, going out to restaurants with my boys. And, uh, you know, oftentimes what will happen when we go into restaurants is we'll sit down and somebody will just hand us the kids' menu without asking, you know? And, and Karsten, my youngest, will often tell me, Dad, do I really have to order off the kids' menu? Can I, get, can I get something off the grown-up menu? And it always strikes me, in that moment, a decision was being made. Oh, he's gonna want the kids' menu when he really wanted the adult. And I realize I do the same thing all the time. I look at the lives of people and I say, you know what? They just want the kids' menu. They just want gospel light when in the reality is they are pleading for someone who would step into their mess and call them to the love and the grace of a deep walk with Jesus. And my job in that moment is not to make the decision for myself what menu they need, but to say to them and to God, here I am. Use me as you will. Today how might God want to use you? Is he calling you today to take down that wall? Is he calling you to take down that next brick? Is he calling you to say, here I am. I want to be engaged, not check out. Let's just take a few moments. And before him, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. Just, just take a moment between God. Is there, is there a face, a name, one that he might invite you? to respond with discernment as we walk in this. So Lord Jesus, I thank you that from before the foundations of the earth, you looked at a broken man like me and you did not say, he's such a mess, what's the point? But you pursued me. You became flesh and you dwelt among us full of grace and truth. God, as we read these words, may we be people like that. Lord, we confess to you that sometimes discerning these things is is so difficult that we struggle to know the way. It's, It's far easier to dismiss or to remain uninvolved. And you invite us to discern, to be wise, to go. So Lord Jesus, today as we worship, As we seek you, we throw our hearts open before you. As these relationships, as these stories, as these situations come to mind, we ask that you would be glorified. We ask that you would transform our hearts and that in it all, the world would see you. They would see your glory. They would see your love. Jesus, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen? Amen. Let's worship together.